listening to The Extraordinary Catholic, co-sponsored by the Catholic Education Foundation and the Station of the Cross out of Buffalo, New York. I am your host, Joan Delicato. Thank you for being with us. Today we are privileged to welcome to the program an extraordinary Catholic, Father Bernard McCoy, superior of the Cistercian Monastery in Sparta, Wisconsin, and co-founder of a company called Laser Monks. Father McCoy entered the Catholic Church while a student at Thomas Aquinas College and is a contemplative monk. He is also, as we said, founder and CEO of Laser Monks, a four-year-old startup company that sells new and refurbished computer supplies online, with gross annual sales increasing from 2000 to nearly $4 million in three years. LaserMonks.com is one of the fastest-growing companies in the United States. As an emerging company that is unique, it received first place in 2004 in Fast Company's Fast 50 Awards. He has also been featured by CNN, ABC World News Tonight, Reuters, USA Today, Entrepreneur Magazine, National Public Radio, the National Catholic Register, and the list goes on. Father McCoy is also a licensed pilot, often flying with his favorite co-pilot, his dog, and resides in Wisconsin. Welcome, Father McCoy. Thank you for joining us. We are privileged to have you with us today. With all the great accomplishments you've had, you must have had a starting point. Tell us about your youth and how you got to be where you are. Okay, Joe. Well, um, I grew up in the mythical town of Mayberry, RFD, an actual town in North Carolina called Mount Airy, North Carolina, in the foothills of the Appalachians. And uh, my mom and dad actually grew up with Andy Griffith, uh, lived a couple houses down, and mom chased around the soda fountain when she was 16, so I guess you could call me the monk from Mayberry. And I uh, grew up there in a kind of a middle-class uh, Methodist family. When I was uh, 16, I uh, uh, quit high school and went to um, Georgia Tech to study astrophysics and nuclear physics. And uh, it was while I was there that I began flying and also got my uh, international scuba license. And uh, got sick of the big college atmosphere pretty quickly. Ended up moving to California to a small Catholic college called Thomas Aquinas College, which has a great books program and is uh, really a Catholic oasis in, in so many ways. But within a few months of being there, I was just overwhelmed by both the beauty and the sensibility of, of the Catholic faith. And uh, pretty quickly on, really within uh, uh, six months of going to the college, uh, converted to the Catholic faith. And then I would say probably no more than a month after my official conversion, which at that time happened to be on Ash Wednesday, I suppose that's the beginning of my, of my monk career already there. But uh, in any case, within about a month or so, around the time of Easter, I, uh, I was really struck at prayer one day. And whatever was going on on that altar, that was where reality was for me, and I knew that was where I was supposed to be. And uh, so I really had a vocation within about a month after joining the faith, um, and so finished up my uh, studies there at the college and uh, worked for just a short time, less than a year, to pay off a few college debts and ended up joining my uh, contemplative monastery here in Wisconsin. How do, um, a lot of fodder for a discussion, how do you go from being a high school graduate, a uh, dropout, to uh, studying astrophysics in Georgia Tech? <laughs> well, I, I guess at that point in my life I was considered... Uh, somewhat precocious. That was all before my wisdom teeth got taken out, and then, of course, it was downhill after that. But no, I had um, 
placed into a, a special uh, advanced entry program without a, a diploma. And uh, I, I guess I had particularly good scores and was apt for you know the scientific world at the time. So just a just a gifted kid at the time and was able to kind of work the system to make it work. So I still don't have a high school diploma today. So <laughs> good for you, Father. Um, okay, so so you went to Thomas Aquinas Great Books College, uh, Oasis. Uh, Ash Wednesday was significant. Easter Sunday was significant to you. And this was what time period are we talking? Uh, this would have been in uh, 1985. 85. Okay. And once you entered uh, the Cistercians from the get-go? Yes, I did. That would have been in 1989. Okay. And once you did that, how did your uh, vocational work developed or, or run out? Well... Uh, once I joined the monastery, we were a very small community. Uh, we're still relatively small. I mean, we're about seven or eight, but back then it was four or five older men. We're mostly younger now. But um, when I joined, because of the nature of the situation, they had just relocated properties. We're largely living in an old farmhouse and some attached temporary buildings because we hadn't built our new uh, monastery yet. So uh, myself and one other who joined at the same time, we were sent almost immediately within a couple of months over to Switzerland. Uh, to our mother house, which is uh, uh, near Fribourg, uh, which is just north of Geneva, and uh, spent four years there in both monastic formation and in uh, uh, studies at the University of Fribourg. That was all in French and in German while we were there. Uh, the monastery uh, was about 850 years old, so it was for you know, an American boy from the south. That was uh, kind of like uh, going to a, to a fantasy land to live in it, but Visiting is one thing, living in it's another thing. Everything gets kind of old, cold, gray, and dusty. That's both the monastery and the monks after a while. <laughs> but um, it was it was really an excellent formation at the time. Moved back after several years, finished some extragraduate work in uh, uh, in spiritual direction and in uh, monastic mystical theology, and uh, then came back permanently to the monastery. I mean, we were back and forth in breaks and over summers, but uh, came back in 1995. Uh, permanently to be home, and it was at that time that uh, I was given uh, the charge of what we uh, call steward of temporal affairs, at least for the outside world, um, and basically in charge of all the you know the the modern day-to-day aspects of uh, paying the bills, uh, project manager for building the first wing of the new monastery, all those kinds of practical day-to-day business manager kind of work. Um, and so coming back, I have all this esoteric background and knowledge and degrees and whatever. <laughs> and they say, oh, well, you need to put food on the table. The monks are hungry and you need to build a new building. So went right into, in many ways, kind of the uh, the affairs of the world for the sake of the monastery. And uh, so built the first, uh, first wing, which we have now, which we have room for uh, 15. Uh, currently, so we've got uh, we've got room to grow for the moment before we build the other three wings. And uh, then it was during that process of trying to come up with an income project for the community that um, uh, we stumbled across the idea of laser monks. But perhaps we'll move into that whenever the time is right for you. We sure we sure will, uh, Father. Now, uh, are you currently in the red? Are you currently at it there, or? Um, actually, I'm what's uh, in the superior. Um, we have one, we have a retired abbot, but because we're small, we decided to wait, and I'm officially a conventual prior for now. 
Uh, I mean, I am the superior, but until we get uh, up to a total of 13, one Christ figure and 12 disciples, um, we'll hold off on electing a new abbot because in our order, our abbots are for life. And so it's a little bit, uh, a little bit better for the sake of the community if we have, you know, a, a prior which is, you know, a six-year term. Okay. How old are you now? Uh, just turned 40. So you're, you're young in your position. Uh, unfortunately, yes, we are we are uh, somewhat lacking in in the upper age age levels, uh, the the wisdom figures, and uh, if you stay long enough, your penance is you become superior. <laughs> <laughs> now you said you currently have seven or eight, and uh, and they're on the younger side. Uh, yes, our average age right now is uh, probably about forty three, and we range in age uh, from about uh, let's see twenty uh, twenty four up to uh, the ones that are at home, 24 up to 50, and then we have our retired abbot who's actually in a nursing home, and he's 85. Okay. Well, many religious orders would like to have that demographic. Yes, indeed. Sure. And I'm expecting us uh, probably to add um, between three and five more uh, new people this year. In case you have just joined us, this is the Extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with Father Bernard McCoy, superior of a Cistercian monastery in Sparta, Wisconsin, and co-founder of a company called Laser Monks. Before we get off the air, uh, give us your website, not only for Laser Monks, but for your uh, monastery, so that maybe people... Okay. Uh, the monastery itself is monksonline.org. That's M-O-N-K-S-O-N-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G. And for uh, our company website, it's lasermonks.com, L-A-S-E-R-M-O-N-K-S dot com. Uh, anybody interested in, in those websites, please uh, please uh, hit them, and you'll find out a lot about a wonderful group of people. Okay, Father, so you're obviously uh, a fast track in everything you've ever done, and uh, to go from that quick vocation to study in Freiburg or Freiburg, uh, and then to take over the temporalities, start a business, and be superior is, is remarkable, and again, our prayers are with you. Tell us about your business ventures and how they got started, what their purposes are, and so on. Okay. Well, as I said, when I came back in 95 to take over many of the, shall we say, the business aspects of the monastery, one of the things that uh, many people in America don't understand is the fact that um, Benedictine monasteries, and we, um, as Cistercians, follow the rule of Benedict. We were a reform of the Benedictines in 1098, so we've been around a little over 900 years. Uh, but Benedictine monasteries are required to be self-supporting. We don't live off of donations that we uh, have various kinds of enterprises and industries. Most people have heard of some things, maybe fruit cakes or, or wines or beers in Belgium and all kinds of different ways that monasteries find to support themselves. Well, I came home to, a, you know, kind of a community that was being refounded in a sense, starting over, and uh, really had nothing in place, no inherited background of what to do. We were at that time living off the, the proceeds from the sale of our old property until we could, you know, have a younger community and develop something. So... I came back to a small community of five or six, uh, a lovely piece of property of approximately 500 acres in, in the, the bluffs and, and fields of Wisconsin, but uh, nothing that we could really do with our labor force that would be uh, related to what you might call agribusiness, which most monasteries have lived off of really for about the past thousand years. It's really only since uh, World War II that... Um, Many monasteries have had to move into a more modern way of, of, of enterprise and monastic enterprise and support, uh, you know, for their own sustainability. So anyway, 
I'm back home and trying to uh, come up with various ways to uh, support us. We looked at all manner of things. We were considering developing a, a, um, a five-star golf course and retreat center for the corporate boards. Pete Dye had offered to uh, design our course for free. I was working on that project, uh, looking at raising shiitake mushrooms. I had some real estate development projects I was actually working on at the time. And in the midst of all this, my printer ran out of toner, and I said, this is just way too expensive for a bunch of black dust. There has got to be a better way. And in poking around uh, online and uh, making a few phone calls, I discovered there were all kinds of better ways to save some money. And I said, gee, if I can save this kind of money for our little monastery, you know, for five or ten printers, what, what if we could do this for other nonprofit groups, churches, schools, hospitals, uh, that sort of thing? And so that was the initial idea that led us on to what then became lasermonks.com. And uh, since that time, which was in 2002, um, we expanded from simply offering uh, basic printer cartridges, both inkjet and toner cartridges of all kinds, both remanufactured, uh, third-party brands, uh, name brands, all of that sort of thing. But people ask us, well, gee, do you know, do you have paper clips or can we get ream of paper from you? And we said, well, why not? So we expanded into the office products industry in general. Today we have over 43,000 products that we offer um, you know, to the general business world. And it's not just the nonprofits. We are uh, major suppliers for uh, uh, lots of small to medium businesses, a lot of government contracts, universities and hospitals throughout the country. So it, uh, it's a wide-ranging thing. And individuals, you know, the poor student who wants to save some money on an inkjet printer cartridge or something. So we're able to help people save some money along the way. The income, of course, is used not only to cover the uh, very modest overhead to run monastery and support the monks in their life of prayer, but at the same time, a significant portion goes to charities throughout the world. Um, and we have uh, we have works both locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Everything from uh, care for the body, care for the mind, care for the spirit are kind of the angles we look at. Uh, it could be help for uh, a domestic abuse shelter, perhaps it's uh, for a food kitchen, medical equipment needs in a rural area. Uh, we do a few scholarships of various kinds. Uh, we are helping um, people with entrepreneurial ideas. Uh, for example, I have a lady in, in the Dominican Republic that I'm helping to start a small business, perhaps go back to college. We've got a school in Vietnam that provides free computer training for orphans and street kids to keep them off the streets and from them to sell drugs and be prostitutes. Um, we have uh, all manner of uh, really fascinating projects around, around the country and around the globe. So that's another side of, of our business enterprise is that it expands into the charitable works. The almsgiving, really, that is a portion of our life as well because not only do we we support our own work um, at the monastery, but we use that in order to help support other people as well. One of the things that people often ask me is kind of keeping a foot in both worlds, both the secular and, and the religious, is how do you keep a balance in, in that life of, of work and prayer? Um, we do have a motto uh, within the Benedictine family of, of monasteries called Ora et Labora. That's the Latin for prayer and work. They come together to bring about pox, peace. And for us, we don't see work as a necessary evil, uh, much like Adam and Eve uh, 
who, uh, in tending the garden, were doing good work, using their creative energies. They were providing food for their own table as well as the table of others, if you will. And we follow very much in that same tradition so that there's a balance. Uh, it's not nine to five and then I can go, go home and be a monk. Uh, we, we punctuate the day with the liturgy of the hours, with prayer where we turn back to God, uh, with moments of reflection and silence, recreation, that we create this balance um, because of the structure of our lives that gives us both work, recreation, study, prayer, all those necessary elements to, to make our human lives truly, uh, truly fulfilling and truly um, uh, developing towards becoming that Christ figure that uh, God wants us to be. So uh, what I'm saying is that there's a balance for us. The work for us um, is, is part and parcel of our life. It helps us uh, to keep our, our human side, and it helps us to support those needs we have not only for ourselves and for others. Remarkable. All that from black dust. <laughs> exactly. Black gold. There you go. Unbelievable. Um, obviously, your town, the, the seven or eight other monks that you have there currently, um, what, is their f- what functions do they provide in, in the work world? And then you also, if I'm understanding your structure correctly, you also are responsible for employees of your corporations. Uh, exactly. Um, most of Laser Monks is run by outside lay people. We have a couple of buildings on the property uh, where most of the operations take place. And so the day-to-day operations, answering the phones and dealing with vendors, that sort of thing, is mostly taken care of um, by a lay staff. And we're, we're pretty lean. I, I think we've got maybe five employees right now. So pretty lean for running a relatively successful company. The monks themselves at this point, um, I take care of most of the larger things, you know, well, strategic planning and financial background and, and kind of being the, uh, the media monk to, to talk to media like yourself, to, uh, to tell our story, if you will. But the other monks, uh, with whatever talents they have, they participate in various ways. Um, some help us with doing, uh, say, photographic work, uh, computer graphics work, uh, sometimes text work, depending on, on what we're working on. Uh, we even have a, a cartoon series uh, on the Laser Monk site to make it a fun experience. Buying black dust is not the most exciting parts of your day, so why not make it fun? And we have a cartoon series of our own monastery dogs called Cloister Canines, The Adventures of Luxor and Ludwig, that one of our monks, who's a full-time artist, uh, puts out for us. So that one's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, answering prayer requests that come in, we try and imbue our business with um, some of what we consider our monastic hospitality. St. Benedict, uh, in his rule, says that every guest should be received as Christ himself. And what we try and do is transform that into a commerce hospitality where all of our customers, all of our vendors, all the people we're involved with in the business world are treated with genuine human dignity. And in doing that, we're concerned about their well-being, about making the purchasing experience not simply um, something you have to do, but something that actually brings about uh, some enjoyment, some fulfillment, to know that when you're purchasing from a company like LaserMonks.com that you are helping others by doing something you already have to do. So we're, we're creating an emotional uh, tie and bond with our customers, and we have one of the highest customer retention rates in the whole industry because, I mean, you know, let, let's face it, the big office box stores uh, on the corner, uh, they'll offer you some products, but that's about it. But we'll offer you products, we'll help save you money, we'll 
let you have a good time. We'll provide uh, prayers for you. I mean, you get a spiritual rebate with every purchase. Uh, you know, the monks are going to pray for you. Well, what a deal. So it, it's, it's a wonderful way of doing business, of involving both the monks with their talents um, and providing um, income and employment for local lay people as well and expanding that, of course, into the various uh, charitable works that we do. In case you have just joined us, this is The Extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with Father Bernard McCoy, superior of a Cistercian monastery in Sparta, Wisconsin, and co-founder of a company called Laser Monks. Okay, and I think in a past conversation, Father, uh, you talked about another aspect of your business operations where you were sort of uh, melding uh, or being uh, trying to be a one-stop shopping for traditional monk-type products. Uh, ah, yes. Um, one of the things that we have expanded into uh, since beginning Laser Monks was moving outside the office products uh, kind of realm was a lot of religious communities throughout the, the uh, country have various products that they uh, sell to try and help support themselves as well, but they obviously have a, a relatively limited marketing base. We thought, gosh, what if we could use our marketing presence in, in, the, in the society to provide um, uh, an increase of sales for these religious groups. So through Laser Monks, and now we've actually set up a separate site in and of itself called monkegifts.com, M-O-N-K-E-G-A-F-T-S.com, that provides um, the various kinds of products from religious communities all over America, men and women. Um, and what we're trying to do is help support their communities by marketing their products since we've got a larger a larger draw as far as a customer base. And it's proving very successful. Um, people love the products. We started blending them and in, in doing gift baskets of various kinds of products. And that has been extremely successful, especially for uh, for, for Christmas and Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. You know, it's a special gift with something unique of high quality, and it makes people feel good, that kind of product. So that's another way that we're trying to, um, to help out in, in a small way for other religious folks who are trying to, to lead lives in service to God. And um, uh, similarly, what has developed from that has been we've noticed the relationship of um, purchasing with a purpose, if you will, which is what you do you know, with our company. At the same time, you might call it commerce with compassion. It's kind of one of our taglines. And what we've started doing is expanding into other product lines where we can provide whatever the product may be, but tie it to the charitable use um, where the money will be going. The best example is our current new coffee company called Benevolent Blends which is another site, benevolentblends.com. And we have high-end coffee. We import the beans ourselves from uh, Costa Rica, Panama, and Ethiopia. They are uh, roasted for us um, in Madison, Wisconsin, and shipped out on Tuesdays, and we ship them from the monastery on Thursdays. But uh, high-end blends, you know, to compare with, say, the Starbucks lines. And uh, the income from that goes back directly to helping the families who produce the, the, uh, the coffee beans. We provide help for the medical uh, clinics, for the education of these families and, and, uh, and these coffee bean families in these various countries. And that expanded into other kinds of appropriate products. We now are baking products through another company and have biscotti available, benevolent biscotti. We're going to be starting a whole line of uh, dog, horse, and cat treats, benevolent bones. Um, and all sorts of, of wonderful ways of taking a product and, and making it 
um, you know, a useful and, and fruitful experience. So we're really moving into that kind of fair trade, free trade um, angle and are starting, as a matter of fact, to negotiate with a few communities, uh, one in Nagaland in India and uh, some others in Ethiopia, of finding products from local small communities and be able to sell them for them uh, here in America so that they can help support their own communities. So it's, uh, it's, it's really a kind of an organic process that has led us into expanding on our own idea of commerce with compassion to, to offering that uh, for the use of a lot of other communities throughout the world. You're taking a breath away. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm not talking too long here. No, no, it's, it's, it's just so fascinating. Uh, earlier on, you you anticipated a question, and you talked about uh, the questions that people would have about how you balance your your life and so on. And you talked about that somewhat on a on a community level. Uh, can you tie back or take a stab at tying back that experience? Uh, where everything happens behind the altar, uh, which was the initiation of your vocation, to where you've come and where you're going today. Could you sort of make that clear for us? Sure. Um, as I said, my, my initial vocation was felt very much uh, in the presence of the Eucharist, and I knew that that's what my life uh, was to be centered on. Um, and while at this point, for example, in my life, uh, obviously I have way too many irons in the fires and have to keep a lot of plates spinning, so to, so to speak, a lot of good works, no question, but uh, very um, occupying as far as, as time and intellectual energy as well, what, what has to be fundamental is that day-to-day spiritual practice. Now, in the monastery, remember, we've got a set structure. We start at 4 in the morning. Uh, we spend approximately 4 to 5 hours throughout the day, about every couple of hours, um, in prayer. Our monastery continues the tradition of Gregorian chant, um, so we spend about four hours a day in chant, another hour a day in private prayer and study. But it's part of the structure. Everybody's doing it. It's what you're supposed to do, and you're going to do it, as opposed to, of course, being in the world where you've got to, to make your own, your own schedule and your own rules, and you're the only one that you have to account, <laughs> be accountable to. Um, in the monastery, it's, it's part of the way it's set up, so that um, you won't get too out of balance, that uh, things won't fall out of kilter, so to speak. It's not always easy, I will grant you, uh, from a personal level, that uh, how many times I'm, I'm standing in a choir and my mind is racing on some other problem, and you know I lose my place in the Psalms or something and I feel bad because I should be paying attention to that. But at the same time, um, the process of having that structure within the monastic setting uh, really assures that you keep a certain balance. Of course, on the other hand, we are individuals uh, within the monastery, and you know we're primarily supposed to be concerned with the care of our own souls, tending our own garden, in a sense, uh, while at the same time trying to help others with theirs. So it, it's a factor where we do have to step back. Um, I try and take off at least uh, one day a week in some form or fashion. It might be a half day here and a half day there. Um, and turn off the Internet. Turn off my cell phone. Uh, no electronic stuff. Um, I will spend some time in prayer or study. Uh, I'll go out and, and uh, you know, play with the horses, do something to pull myself away from those worldly concerns that help me refocus uh, on God, whether it be strictly in prayer or through nature um, or just through some recreational activity that can pull me away from those cares. Part of the problem today is, of course, it's such a frenetic society and we're pulled in so many directions and we have so many stresses and cares that we forget to pull back and have a moment 
critical reflection. People don't like the silence today. They're afraid of it. The monastery, it's, it's a part of, part of our life, is, is living in that, in that mystical world of silence where, of course, you're really faced with yourself in front of that spiritual mirror, and you have to deal with the problems that come up. Uh, and, and that's part of what we try and do in our life, in the monastic life, is to provide an atmosphere where um, you are able to confront your own uh, faults and failures, your own needs, to be able to grow in those, to be able to, to sanctify even your weaknesses uh, and to move forward in that. And, of course, having to have the stresses that we do, not so different from people in the world, uh, means that we share very much in the struggles uh, of people in the world, and we keep those very much at heart. We get requests from all over the world every day on our prayer request um, um, portion of, of both the Abbey site and the Laser Monk site of people saying, you know, I, I just feel like I can't keep going. There's too many things pulling at me. And in some ways, I hope that we can be beacons, uh, a beacon of, of hope in that light. That yes, uh, it is hard. We live it too. Uh, people think we live, you know, under the oak trees praying our, praying our rosaries and don't have much to do during the day. But on the contrary, we have uh, at least as much to do as most people and uh, often much more. So trying to, um, to keep a holy balance and keep in perspective what is actually most important, those essentials. God has to be most important and um, everything else should be structured around that. And I think that's really the fundamental quality that makes our life work, is that we've taken that as the priority and not that either I've got to pay the bills or that I have to answer the phone. Uh, God comes first, and everything else has to fall in place after that. Father, you are a beacon. Your work is a beacon of hope to us all. Uh, it's unique uh, in terms of, of the modernity of, of your business ventures, and that in itself is a witness. Uh, so we thank you so much for taking time with us. We pray for your good works, uh, for your compassion, and 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 for all the wonderful outreach that you're doing. And uh, we only wish you and pray for your continued success. So thank you so much for being with us, Father McCoy. Thank you, Joe, and thank you to all the listeners. May God bless you all this season and uh, bring you great graces for the rest of the year. God bless. God bless, God bless you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for being with us for today's Extraordinary Catholic. We hope you have found the program inspirational and informative, and truly hope you can join us again. I am Joan Delicato. <laughs>